If you have a Bible, you can open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll look at the very end of that and the beginning of the next chapter, chapter 16. The text is also printed in the bulletin for you. So we've started a new series now on the topic of treasure. It's a short series that I'm sure you'll be able to block from your memory by summertime. I mean, I warned you uh, last week, I gave you fair warning. I don't know why you're here this week since I said we were going to have a series on uh, treasure. Um, Last week we looked at Jesus' words uh, from Matthew 6 that especially the the words, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Treasure is a bigger concept than just monetary wealth. It's whatever you value above all else. It's whatever uh, you devote your life to. It's what you love. It's what you serve. It's what you sacrifice for. Um, Treasure is actually your master, Jesus says. Treasure owns you. Your treasure owns you. Um, So rather than bending our lives around earthly treasures that don't last and can't deliver on their empty promises, we should set our sights on heavenly treasures, really on Jesus Christ himself, uh, who has treasured us. He's actually given us ownership of him, and he's pursued us, and he's poured out his life for us. He's, he's granted us a relationship of mutual ownership, mutual treasuring, and he, Jesus, is a treasure of infinite worth. He's unfading. He is secure in heaven. Um, and, uh, and devotion to him as our ultimate treasure means the restoration of everything in our lives, uh, everything that was broken through our old devotion to our earthly treasures. So now, now as Christians who have heard this, um, we're interested in investing ourselves in his eternal kingdom, in taking everything that we've got here and, and investing it, uh, putting it into what really lasts, in cultivating our own and others' deep joy in Christ's glorious love. So, so all that sounds really great in a sermon from the relative safety of your pew, relative safety. Um, but when the, the rubber meets the road and you've got to work and you've got to take care of your family and expenses come up and you've got to save for the future, the thought of parting too easily with your earthly treasures, it gets a little hairy, right? In, The idea of investing in true treasures in God's kingdom, it sounds really nice right now, but where, um, I mean, where you can pretend maybe you didn't really hear about about what it means to invest in God's kingdom because maybe the kids were distracting you, Um, but when you actually stop to count the cost in your regular life, in your daily life, You go home and you count the cost, it seems risky because, hey, you know what, there is a quantifiable payoff to earthly treasures. We can calculate it. We do get something out of them. We fear that we will be diminished if we give away our money. We fear we could be diminished in a whole lot of ways if we give away our money. When it comes down to it, practically, we feel like we'd be giving away the main, visible, tangible, sensible source of our joy and our security in this life if we're giving away our treasures. It's like old Gandalf says, Bilbo, the ring is still in your pocket. Right? Bilbo's convinced that it, it, it's better if he parts with that ring. Best to let it go, but the really hard part is actually letting go of it. Um, 
So if you really believe that money is the best chance that you've got at, at life, if you believe that money is the best chance you've got at joy, then by all means get it and keep it and use it for yourself and just see what happens to your life. Just see what happens to your joy. But the gospel says that there's true life in the direction of resurrection generosity. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Resurrection generosity. So let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, you've been good to us in sending your Son, sending your Spirit, giving us your word through the apostles and prophets. And now as we consider your word, we ask for your help. We don't just need a little bit of help. We need all help. We need all mercy and grace. We need to be changed from the inside out if we're going to be changed into your likeness. And that is what we want. It is best to live with you and to be transformed into the likeness of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, in Ephesians 1, Paul prays that the church would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. All right, so Paul is, is praying that we would be able to know God's re- resurrection power that's at work toward us. The same power that was at work in raising Christ from the dead, that we would know its power toward us who believe. So this is a prayer that Paul offers for God's grace, that the church would know this power, God's resurrection power, which is immeasurably great, he says. And it worked toward believers for our good. So Paul is praying for our spiritual vision, for spiritual insight, to be able to see something that actually contradicts the way that we would normally perceive things, the way we would normally interpret things. This, this turns these things on their head. Right? This is a different kind of vision that we would normally have. It is unusual to understand how God's power, which was behind the resurrection of his son Jesus Christ, comes to bear in our daily lives. It's unusual to be able to understand that. It's a gift of God's grace to be able to understand that kind of power. So applying the gospel then, which is what that is, it's a matter for our prayer because it is contrary to our nature as self-reliant self-oriented people, and we need to be changed at a deep level, a, deep, a, a level deep enough we can't make that change in ourselves. We need to be changed to be able to receive God's grace in a way that really makes a difference in our lives. Paul's always praying for that. And that kind of change that we need is something only God can do, so you should always ask God to change you according to um, the, the gospel that you're hearing, the gospel that you're reading, when you're reading the scriptures or hearing it, we, we always need to ask God to change us um, in accordance with his truth and his grace. So our passage, which we've already asked God for help, 
um, to change us as we, as we hear it, our passage <clears throat> is an application of the gospel. It's an application of the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in particular. <clears throat> Just two Sundays ago on Easter, we looked at this chapter at 1 Corinthians 15. It's probably the greatest chapter on the resurrection in the New Testament. And our main takeaway that week was that if Jesus is risen from the dead, which in fact he, he is, he has been, then glorious bodily and spiritual, complete, holistic resurrection is also inevitably in our future as well. Right? Jesus lives and so shall I. That's how we sing it. And this is a gift of his free grace. It says in our passage in verse 57 this morning, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the victory that he's talking about. God freely shares the victory of his son's resurrection with, with you and me, people like us, people who don't deserve it. So his resurrection freely granted to us as a, a gift, that victory, his resurrection means our resurrection, which means a lot. It means everything changes. Right? And here at the end of Paul's great reflection on the resurrection, which is the climax of his letter to the Corinthians, you read through it, there's, um, there's a buildup to chapter 15. He teases out just a little bit now of the significance of the resurrection for the, the daily lives of Christians in the church. He says, therefore, in verse 58, considering this, uh, since this is true, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Right, so therefore, because of the good news that Jesus lives and so shall you, you know that in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. Whatever is done by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever is done for the sake of the Lord, as unto the Lord, whatever is done in the name of the Lord Jesus, whatever is done for the Lord's kingdom and for his purposes, whatever labor is done in the Lord is not in vain because there's this thing called the resurrection. So be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Remember, the one uh, who has resurrection guaranteed is ultimately invincible, even if they utterly spend themselves in the Lord's service, even if they die as martyrs bearing witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, talking the other day with E.C. Bell, who's the pastor of our church down in uh, Newburgh, Shehalem Valley Presbyterian, he said, because I have been raised with Christ... I no longer have to fear the loss of dying to self. Because I've been raised with Christ, because of the, the power of the resurrection and the fact that I'm in fellowship with Christ, I'm united to Jesus through his spirit. Because I've been raised with Christ, I no longer have to fear the loss of dying to self. You no, you no longer have to fear the loss of anything, really. Paul goes on to say that knowing God's kind of power knowing his kind of power, the power behind Christ's resurrection and yours, means that you can die to self by giving up your wealth for others' sake. And that you'll be just fine. You'll be just fine. Even if it diminishes you in real, tangible, earthly, visible ways. You'll be just fine. Here's a great example of abounding in the Lord's work. 
which will not be in vain because of the resurrection. You know, when you get together on the first day of the week, he says, when you get together on the first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's day, the day when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that's when you should, you should all give generously for the Lord's work. That's what he says. Because of the resurrection, when you get together to celebrate the resurrection, give. It's just the kind of thing you'd be too worried to do if the resurrection weren't true. You'd hoard that wealth for yourself. Or maybe you'd give, but not enough really to risk anything. In ancient Rome, um, wealthy philanthropists invested in their own communities. They gave. Maybe it didn't diminish them to do so, but they gave. They, they invested in their own communities in ways that reflected well on them as benefactors, like they hosted the games in the Colosseum and whatnot, right, so that people were happy and, uh, and would be happy with them as the benefactors. So they invested in their communities to get love and to maintain power. But they cared nothing for the poor. They cared nothing for the poor, and they certainly wouldn't send their money to other cities to benefit communities that didn't immediately benefit them, really. But here, in our passage, and in many places in the New Testament, Paul's talking about financial gifts that he's collecting from churches all over the kind of northern coast of the the Mediterranean, Asia Minor, which is kind of now Turkey and Greece. Um, He's talking about collecting money from Gentile churches for the sake of the Jewish church back in Jerusalem because of the famine that's taking place there. And in in 2 Corinthians, chapters 8 and 9, Paul mentions that even the poor gave, not just the wealthy, even the poor, out of their poverty, they wanted to participate in this collection, this cross-cultural overseas relief fund. And this is because these Christians were convinced that ultimately, ultimately it did not diminish them to give away their earthly treasures. It didn't diminish them. Because the resurrection is true. And you don't have to be afraid of being generous. Tim Keller said, if, if our greatest treasure, our greatest treasure, communion with the living God, is safe, of what can we be afraid? So you're going to live forever in glory because the king of heaven himself came into this world for you to retrieve you. He lived and died and rose for you so that one day you would rise again new and immortal and imperishable. So, so what if you can't buy that new widget? If you go the rest of your life without that new widget? So what if you have to pay attention to your budget? So what if you need to downsize and simplify? So what if you miss a meal because of your generosity? You ever done that? Generosity isn't, uh, isn't just kind of generically throwing, throwing away money. I think that's something of the fear that we have with the idea of generosity. I'm just 
getting rid of something that's good for me. It's not just throwing away money. It's personal. Whether you know the recipients of your generosity or not, whether you know them, whether you've seen them face to face, whether they can say thank you or not, generosity is personal. It's an expression of love. It's an expression of love, which is what those who believe in the resurrection believe will last forever. We believe in the resurrection. We believe love is going to last forever. Paul's already talked about that in his epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 13. The Corinthians needed to be reminded of this. This, this epistle apparently didn't fix their problem and make them generous, you know. They needed another second letter, a really long another letter. Like I said, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul spends quite a bit of time encouraging the Corinthians to let their love, let their love make them cheerful givers. Not reluctant, but cheerful. Even though they knew this stuff, even though they had good reason to be generous, they were still dragging their feet and they needed reminding. Of course, we wouldn't know anything about that. Um, Victor Hugo said in uh, Les Mis, you can give without loving. You can give without loving, but you can never love without giving. Generosity is about the giving of self, not just money. You're giving up more than just money. Even when you are just giving money, (laughs) you're giving up more than Money, you're giving yourself. That's what generosity is about. It's about the outpouring of our very selves for the sake of others. It's love. That's what love is. It means working so that you may have something to share, as we heard in our offering reading from Ephesians 4. Working so that you may have something to share. Resurrection generosity is complete self-gift. It's a complete self-gift Because you know that even if it kills you, you'll live forever because of Christ. In fact, sacrificial generosity, real sacrificial generosity, is a way of entering into the pattern of the life of Jesus Christ himself. The pattern of his life, it's that that dying then rising pattern that characterizes his life. It's that the rich becoming poor to make the poor rich pattern. Sacrificial generosity is a way to enter into Christ's own life pattern. Uh, As we heard in Psalm 112, as Joe read it in our Old Testament reading, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Not just in this life. Nobody's going to remember you in a couple of generations. But, um, but you will be remembered forever in the resurrection, in the new heavens and the new earth. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. In commemoration of the resurrection, uh, 
and empowered by the resurrection and fueled by the resurrection, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as, as you may prosper. Lay it up. It's that same language Jesus was using in Matthew 6, uh, laying up treasures in heaven. Each of you is to put something aside and lay it up for the sake of others in the church, for the sake of the poor, for real people in need, exercising your love through a fearless generosity. Paul isn't just talking to wealthy people, he's talking to everyone in the church. If you've heard the gospel, your appropriate response is faith and faithful generosity as an expression of your love for the saints. In fact, the the most beautiful pictures of true generosity that we have are in the gifts given by the poor. By the poor. Who normally we would say, it's understandable you don't have much to give. Maybe you're exempt from giving. The most beautiful pictures of generosity that we have are gifts given by the poor. As Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting in money into the offering box, many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Her memory endures forever. Jesus praised this poor old woman. And you and I wonder where her next meal came from, right? Isn't that the thought that goes through your mind? That was all she had to live on. What happened next? She must have been in trouble because she gave all her earthly treasures. What happened next? How long could she last in this world if she stayed so generous? She could very well have been thinking what Abraham was thinking. Father of the faith, a long time before her, when he was instructed to sacrifice his great treasure, his own son, And he was thinking, God is able to raise from the dead. God is able to raise from the dead. Even if I lose everything, even if I give it all, God is able to raise from the dead. Jesus said in another place in Luke 12, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So being stingy 
Jesus says being stingy and hoarding your wealth and enjoying it while you can is just spiritual short-sightedness. Spiritual short-sightedness. That's what happens when you don't believe in the resurrection. Being rich toward God is a wealth that even death cannot touch. And because in Christ you have that treasure, because you have the resurrection guaranteed to you, you really can put your earthly treasures aside and store them up for others as a way to invest in the beautiful kingdom of God's glorious love as is seen in Jesus Christ, his son. And we can do that every week here. How great is that? Amen. Let's pray. Father, it is hard for us to believe in the resurrection because it's so far removed from us historically, but we have the good word about it, and it's a sure word. And it's it's more than just a word about a man who lived 2,000 years ago. It's a word about us. That because Jesus lives, so shall we. And therefore, what should make us afraid? Nothing in this life, not even death itself. Certainly not serving you should make us afraid. Certainly, uh, serving you should not be viewed as something that is in vain. We pray that you would convince us of that. That all labor done in your name, all generosity performed in the name of Jesus Christ, empowered by the, the belief in the resurrection, all of it will bear good fruit, even if we never see it. We pray that you would convince us of your great love, your great power that's at work toward us, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in our lives and in this whole world. We pray that we would be um, impressed enough with who you are and what you've done for us in the gospel, that we would be changed by it, to be the kind of people who live a Christ-like life, a life of dying then rising, and a life of the rich becoming poor so that the poor might become rich. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.